Good evening. Our studies in Colossians continue this evening. In chapter 3, find verse 5. Colossians chapter 3, find verse 5. Let's tie all this in together. If Christ is your life, as Paul says in verse 4, then the question becomes how is that life maintained? There are sins that could re-enter your life if you were to let that happen. Temptations occur to drift back into what you were taken out of. If Christ is your life, as Paul states in verse 4, how is that life in Christ maintained? Well, the answers begin at verse 5. So we'll be talking about moral purity and self-discipline and honesty and mature attitudes and then the responsibilities of husbands and wives and children and fathers are singled out in verse 21, servants in verse 22. So in my view of the text, that's a good way to navigate this. If Christ is your life, then how do you maintain that life and Paul answers that in a very practical and valuable way and a very specific way beginning at verse 5. And so that's where our study continues tonight. Let's begin with prayer. Heavenly Father, we praise Thee and adore Thy name and express our love for Thy Son, Jesus Christ. May we be attentive to these things we will study together. And may we determine that we will take every duty we discover and put that into practice. Help us in these good purposes. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Let me read Colossians 3 from 5 down through 8 for now. Colossians 3, I'm reading 5 through 8 from the English Standard Version. Put to death... Therefore, what is earthly in you? Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do you know that the Bible in this particular place tells you to kill? Now, you need to stay with me here. You need to let me give that some definition and some context, but that's where I'm going to begin. In Colossians 3 and verse 5, the Bible tells us to kill. Here it is. Here's, it is stated as an imperative, and it says, put to death. So in the sense we're going to study from Paul's words tonight, we are to be killers. We are to be executioners. Now, this is killing, but before we fire shot, we need to see what we are to kill and how we are to do that killing. We are to kill the sins listed here. 
in Colossians 3, 5 to 8. We're to kill those sins. Now, initially, we do that when we repent and we are buried with Christ in baptism. Based on our response to the cross, and in particular, the function of repentance in the heart. Repentance means we kill any sins that we're involved in, and God forgives us. So we kill them initially when we are buried with Christ in baptism. But then after baptism, from baptism until we die, there is the reality of temptation. If and when these sins begin to reappear in the form of temptation or actual transgression, we have to kill them again. And God enables us to do that when we are determined to live in Christ and be nourished and disciplined by the Word. So we are able to do this. We're able to do this killing of sin as we keep Christ near to us every day and depend upon the discipline of the Word to help us identify when the sins approach again. And then if we transgress, we repent. Ask God to forgive us and we redetermine that these sins will not live in us. So, in the sense written by Paul in Colossians 3 and verse 5, we are to be executioners. We are to be killers in the sense he describes of eradicating and executing. The older translations, some of them have the word mortify. Mortify, execute, kill these sins as soon as you see them coming. And if they're already present and you've transgressed, you repent before God and you kill these sins. So, first of all, there is the word in some of the translations that you have, fornication. In the NIV and the English Standard Version, it's going to say sexual immorality. Sexual immorality. Even people who've been buried with Christ in baptism can fall back and become guilty of sexual sin. Though we are Christians, we are, until we die, susceptible to temptation. So it should be our intention to kill this sin, to refuse to be guilty of this, and we kill this sin by keeping Christ close to us and by relying upon the discipline of the Word of God to help us identify the approach of the temptation and if we should transgress, to kill it, to repent. You have to get up every day and make conscious daily decisions to seek those things that are above, as Paul said earlier in the chapter, set your mind on things above, and part of that discipline is the intention to kill sin, put to death fornication. By the way, many of you are aware of this. The word fornication, sexual immorality is the phrase, from the Greek is pornea, P-O-R-N-E-A. 
Now, if that sounds familiar, pornea in the Greek language is a general word that covers all forms of sexual activity forbidden by God. It covers homosexuality, premarital sex, adultery, and pornography. All sexual thinking, seeing, and acting that is forbidden by God. And within this word, pornea, there is this idea. And today we have the word pornography, which describes that particular form of sexual sin. Now, you might be interested in knowing that that word pornography has to do with the viewing of that which God has forbidden. Viewing that which God has forbidden to arouse excitement and to pull you in to that very temptation and transgression that Paul has said we must execute, we must kill it. And all of this takes us back to the fundamental truth that God puts sexual activity in one place, in one relationship, marriage. Engaged in outside of where God put it, and it falls in this category of fornication, sexual immorality. When that emerges in your mind, are your activity executed, kill it, put it to death, stay with Christ, be disciplined by the word so that you can recognize and identify the approach of these sins. And if you transgress, repent, kill it. The same attitude should be active against uncleanness. Uncleanness or impurity, it may be in the translation that you have. And impurity has a very similar definition. It's wrapped into sexual immorality. The person guilty of this exhibits a crudeness and an insensitivity in sexual matters. A crudeness and an insensitivity in sexual matters. If you don't know what that is, turn the TV on. No, don't. You see what I mean. So here's something I think we need to get a better thought around. And we'll cover it again in an expression that will come at the end of verse 8. Humor with sexual content is a kind of humor Christians need to avoid. And this may be an area where we have neglected. I want to urge us to give better thought to this. And I hope each of us will be careful to avoid humor with sexual content. I know it is all around us. It's very common. Maybe most of us at some point have been guilty of it. Based on this passage, I want to highly recommend that we kill it. That we think more about what is appropriate and what is not appropriate for Christians. Kill fornication and kill things that might minimize the offense. Movies and video games and uh, all kinds of literature that's out there and social media posts and YouTube videos 
Be very careful what you pass on, what you look at, and what you laugh about, which might take lightly the sanctity of marriage. Christians kill these things. Passion. In the NIV, you will find the word lust. This is about sexual desire so nurtured and entertained in your mind, there is a fantasy world that you enter into that is morally destructive. Don't say to yourself, well, I'm not actually doing it, I'm just thinking about it. It's morally destructive at the point of mental entertainment. Morally destructive. Pornography fits this word as well as the word fornication. So this is something else to be mortified, to be killed, executed. And you kill this sin by abiding in Christ. You are disciplined by the word to see the approach of it, reject it at that point, And if you become involved, repent and kill it. Evil desire is even a stronger form of this, a stronger word where there is, after the entertainment and the mind, what comes next is a desire is formed. What you entertain in that fantasy world in your head, you try to create an outlet for. Kill that too. Very similar uh, very similar to what we've already talked about, evil desire. And it could involve something of a non-sexual nature, but has intention to do something wrong. We'll talk about the sin of malice here in a few moments. So intending to do wrong, intending to do harm, seeking some outlet for thoughts that you should never have maintained in your mind to begin with. When it emerges, kill it. Then observe this near the end of verse 5. And covetousness, which is idolatry. The uh, New Revised Standard Version says, Greed, which is idolatry. Here's what this is about. When your focus is on satisfying your desire, greed becomes idolatry. Because what you want can easily become your God. That's the connection. What you covet, what you desire strongly, what you have great intention for in terms of some outlet, that can consume you and become your God. So as Christians... In the sense described in Colossians 3, 5, we are to be killers. But note carefully what we are to kill. And note in the New Testament in general how we are to kill it. We are to kill these sins. We kill them by letting our lives be consumed with Christ. So here's what I want to do now. I want to read 1 through 5. This is the point where we try to gather all of this together. Colossians 3, 1 through 5. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. 
When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. There's a single word in verse 5 that connects verse 5 with verses 1 to 4. Now, now what is that word in verse 5 that connects it all to verses 1 through 4? Therefore. Oh, you've listened so well. That's it. Therefore. Here's a conclusion. Then the conclusion is to kill these sins. If your life is Christ, then how do you maintain that life? You kill these sins. Hopefully, you kill them as the temptation approaches. If you're guilty of transgressing, then you kill it through repentance. That's Colossians 1, or 3, I should say, 1 through 5. Questions or comments before we continue? In the contemporary English version, paraphrase, but I think it's well done here. You have been raised to life with Christ. Now set your heart on what is in heaven where Christ rules at the right side of God. Think about what is up there, not what is here. You died, which means that your life is hidden with Christ who sits beside God. Christ gives meaning to your life and when he appears, you will also appear with him in glory. And then verse 5 says, therefore, execute these sins. Now, here's what I want to do. I want to take 6 and 7 together. Colossians 3, 6 and 7. I want to put them together. On account of these the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them. I know some of you have the New King James. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you also once walked when you lived in them. When these behaviors we've been talking about are identified in verse 5, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry, it is vital for each one of us to be very clear in our minds and on our study that these things are offensive to God. These things are offensive to God. Now, you may stack up a number of reasons to not do these things. And there are many reasons to not do these things. These things may be socially unacceptable in your family or in a group that you belong to. These things may wreck relationships you have with people. These things may lead you into a lifestyle that would involve disease and disability and maybe death or crime. Here's the greatest consequence. Here's what should bear upon our minds, even though we have that list of all these other things, we don't want to mess up. Here's what should bear upon our minds. The greater consequence must be recognized, and in recognizing the greater consequence, 
you're going to find much more power to kill these sins than to just say to yourself, well, I might wind up with a disease. So there are a number of motivations, a number of reasons to not do these things or entertain these thoughts. But you're going to find the greatest power that you have to kill these sins lies in the recognition that they're offensive to the God who made you. And the Christ who died for you. These things bring upon you guilt from God, the just expression of his wrath. So keep those other reasons, but put this at the very top. You have offended God. This, this term here is a settled divine wrath against sin. You observe throughout the Bible, in every dispensation. Now you may convince yourself that sin is not that bad. You may convince others that your involvement in sin is just no big deal. You will never convince God that it's all right. God doesn't like it now, and he will respond against sin in a very certain way in the end. As converted people, then, what should our attitude be? Well, kill them. Kill them in their approach. Don't even let them come near you and into your mind. And if you've discovered you've transgressed, then repentance is the instrument of execution. Questions or comments? Colossians 3, 5 through 7. Notice Paul says in verse 7 that once you lived in these things, is it possible to live in covetousness, which is idolatry? Yes. Is it possible to live in evil desire, just have that as your way of life? Is it possible to live in adultery and fornication? Certainly is. In these you two once walked when you were living in them. Well, that's a way of life that you give up when you're buried with Christ in baptism. You leave all that, and then when it approaches again, you kill it. Anything else? Verse 8 contains a lot for us to make certain we understand. Paul includes other behaviors not in keeping with being a follower of Christ, and he says, put these off. He's making the same point, but he's adding to the list. Paul includes other behaviors. That doesn't mean wait and do them later. It means don't do them at all. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscenity, put off the old man with his deeds, one translation says. Here's what we do sometimes. We read, we read the sins up in verse 5, and we feel pretty good. I'm not doing any of that. We feel pretty good. Then we come to verse 8. Anger. Oh, wait. Wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. 
As a Christian, you've been cleansed of these things, so don't let them reappear. If they reappear, kill them. The old person of sin must never be, one preacher said, the old person of sin must never be resuscitated. They're gone. That's the main point of this. Now, let's stop briefly at each one. I think I've made a list there. Anger, the word here identifies not temporary innocent agitation. I bet some of you had moments of some sort of agitation today, but you didn't let it linger. This word is a continuous attitude of agitation that remains and lives inside of you. Have you ever met somebody and your impression of them, that's an angry person? Or we may use the expression negative person. All they can talk about is what's wrong. There is an innocent kind of agitation that we all have from day to day. We may need to work on that. But the Greek word here is a continuous attitude of agitation that just remains. Somebody just lives in anger. That, that part of their mind just covers up everything else. That attitude is not in harmony with the life that is directed by Christ. Now, wrath is simply the outburst of that. What's inside comes out. The agitation that you hold inside seeks some sort of outlet. It becomes external and there is this ugly outburst. I think there's probably sheetrock all around the country in homes or offices that have been patched. You know why? Somebody just couldn't take it anymore. They had to do something. There's sheetrock all over the country that's been patched because the agitation that was held inside sought some relief. Now there may also be bloody noses that have been patched up, but I'm just keeping it with sheetrock for now. Of course it's not in harmony with the life that is directed to those things above. Malice is a very deliberate attempt to injure that I mentioned a moment ago. When in your mind you're saying, I'll get him. I'll show her. I'll pay them back for what they did to me. Did I convey the tone correct? That's malice. Malice is not accidental. It is not something done impulsively and that you immediately regret. I know all of us have said things and we just want to take them back when they're still in the air and we can't. And we immediately know, I shouldn't have said that. But malice is the intention to harm, to injure. It is behavior that is deliberate and not compatible with life as it should be lived by Christians. And slander or blasphemy, the root meaning is to speak against. Very often this term is used in the Bible when you speak against God. You don't want to do that. But here it seems to be the more generic term, whether against God or man. When you speak against someone, you become involved in sin. The NIV has the word slander. And then, I'm going to take you right back to what we talked about earlier, filthy language out of your mouth, the old translations say. 
The ESV says obscene talk from your mouth. This phrase holds a very strong connection to what we were talking about earlier when we were talking about humor with sexual content. Just as inappropriate is this filthy language out of your mouth. So let's let's specify specify that without being too specific or graphic. Crude talk abusive language, expletives, even polite expletives, suggestive language, language that may have a double meaning. We must guard against all that. And the place where you guard against all that is not here. It's here. It's in your heart. Our hearts need to be centered on what? Do you remember? The things that are above. Remember that because of these things, the wrath of God is coming on the sons of disobedience. Before my takeaways, I'll give you an opportunity. Questions or comments? Colossians 3, 5 through 8. Takeaways. You know, if you hadn't read the passage when I started tonight and said we need to be killers, uh, that, that might have taken you back a little bit. To kill is aggressive. It is not something relaxed, automatic or accidental. Not as the word is used here, or the phrase in some translations, put to death or mortify. You have to decide to do this and take action. To kill is aggressive. The imagery that comes to mind is from Genesis 3 and from our common reaction, what do you do when a snake approaches? How many of you say, well, snake over there, I'll put that on my schedule this afternoon. No, that's not what you do. We were telling snake stories the other day, some of us. I don't know how we got onto that while we were eating dinner, but we were telling snake stories. And I told the one about when I was in basic training in the Army and had a full combat gear on an M14 and jumped into a foxhole and looked down and there was a coral snake wrapped around my combat boot. I had no thought of taking care of that later. I took care of that right then. I don't even remember getting out of the foxhole, but I did. See, killing is aggressive. When sin approaches in the stage of temptation, in the approach or transgression, we are called to action. A passive, casual view will kill us. You can't just take sin and say, well, I'll take care of that someday. No, today is the day. You have to be aggressive about sin. There is a phrase in the English Standard Version in this context, and I want to connect it to something else in another translation. The phrase is, what is earthly in you? And if you have the King James, it'll say, your members 
which are upon the earth. Very similar language used over in the book of James. Your members. That's the parts of you. Your body. The members of your body. Earthly. Upon the earth. Using your bodily members for earthly pursuits. That's what this is about. Now, the remedy is given right where it is stated. Set your mind on things that are above. Very similar to the phrase we studied, by the way, back in chapter 2, when it talked about the indulgence of the flesh. And so, this aggressive action towards sin starts, really, here, when you get your mind where it should be. Not on the earth. Set your mind on the things above. And remember, as we go through all of this, the primary motive, maybe a lot of other reasons to not do these things or think these thoughts, the primary motive is the wrath of God is coming. Actually, when I am overcome by any of these sins, at that point I certainly incur and I earn the wrath of God. I may not drop dead right then, but I earn the wrath of God at the point when I embrace these sins, when I transgress them. But in an ultimate sense, there is, Paul says, the coming of the wrath of God. You don't want to go there. Thoughts of that reality should greatly motivate me in the present to kill sin as soon as I detect its approach. Anything else? I've got a couple more. David. That's right. It is in fact the love of God for us that is a component of his wrath. Because he loves us to the extent he doesn't want us to do those things. Our love of God. It works in both directions. He loves us. We love him. We know about his wrath. And so we kill these sins. What else? Another thing I thought of, uh, in fact, I thought of it just about a minute ago, so I'm going to run this out. We were talking in Colossians chapter 2 about asceticism and severity to the body. Do you remember that discussion if you were here? And I gave some examples where in some Middle Eastern cultures, Men will march in the streets and beat their backs with chains as a religious ritual. And you remember I said you can't physically beat the sin out of you. you. You conquer it here. And then I gave you the example in the Philippines where this week, I don't know if TV will recover it, but this week in the Philippines, men will carry a cross and hang on a cross to their bodily harm they will do that. So that's asceticism and severity to the body. You remember what Paul said about that? He said, it is of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. So you can hurt yourself and cut yourself, and that's not, that's not how you conquer sin. Well, then how do you conquer it? You set your mind where it ought to be, and you put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. 
The remedy is not to inflict physical pain on yourself. It is to kill the sin. Hopefully we'll do that as it approaches and it will never get to us. And it's through the discipline of the word and things such as we're doing here tonight that enable us to kill sin. Um, I had one more. I'll, I'll just bring it up briefly. The ethical teachings of the New Testament are never out of date. Sometimes you'll be in a conversation with somebody and you'll be talking about moral standards and you'll mention your commitment to God's moral standard and you'll talk about the Bible and sometimes the remark will be made that the Bible was written so long ago by old men that uh, lived in a, such an ancient, limited culture. And what is, what is implied in all that is that we are just so sophisticated today. Well, go turn your TV on to see how sophisticated. No, don't. So, the ethical teachings of the New Testament and the ethical moral instructions illustrated in the Old Testament are certainly not out of date. In fact, as I read these things... You probably connected every one of these with something you observe in our culture today. Is there sexual immorality in our culture? How about everywhere? Everywhere. You can pull up sexual immorality on your telephone. What about impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, and, and idolatry? What about obscene talk? Is there any of that going on today? Malice, slander, anger, wrath, busted sheetrock. This is as new as if it were written this morning. The ethical teachings of the New Testament are never out of date. Today the call is often heard that we need to take this and update it. No, it's perfect as it was given by God to instruct those who were made in His image. Hebrews chapter 11. Very good. All right, that's our study for tonight. We've covered just a few verses. We'll take off at verse 9, the Lord willing, when we come back Sunday.